Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Well, Hope Church, um, I was completely surprised about what just happened. Um, this church has been uh, everything to my wife and I. We got married here when we were 21 and 22 years old, and our family has grown here, and um, we had to preach a sermon, so I don't have time to get all emotional, but God has done so much in my life through Hope Church, and so that was amazing, and I'm super, super grateful to serve on this team and um, just to see what God's doing here. So thank you. Um, amen. <clears throat> all right, enough with that stuff. Here we go. We're going to jump into the Word. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Ephesians Last August, August 2018, we began a verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. This is the New Testament book of Ephesians that was written by Paul the Apostle. Now, I am going to try in the first five minutes of this message to recap the entire book of Ephesians. Now, that was 21 sermons worth of content. If you know how we do things here at Hope, that's not going to be possible to exhaustively unpack 21 sermons. So I cannot encourage you enough. If you are maybe new to Hope, you joined this year, or whatever it may be, you're not up to date with the Ephesians series, go online. It is an amazing study, verse by verse, through this New Testament book. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church in the city of Ephesus. And he's really had, up to this point, one main focus. And the main focus is to be telling these Christians in the city of Ephesus who they are in Christ. You read it all throughout the first few chapters of Ephesians. He is drilling this idea of who they are in Christ. And so I thought, for the sake of trying to recap 21 sermons in Ephesians, I boiled it down to what I think are the top 10 things we learned about who we are in Christ. Now... You're going to see in just a minute, this is going to be like drinking out of a fire hose because we are looking at 21 sermons worth of content. We spent a whole message on every single one of these things that I'm going to unpack today in the first few minutes of the message. But here are, for the sake of where we're going today, here are the top 10 things we learned about who we are in Christ. And they're going to show up on the word, the word's going to show up here on the screen. In Christ, we've learned that we are chosen. Right? God in eternity past, he set his heart on you and I. Everything we are has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. We've learned that we are adopted in Christ. We have become a part of a family that we did not originally belong, the family of God. We have been adopted. We are loved. This is so good for us today. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ. We are accepted today. No matter what you walk through this week, you are accepted in Christ we are favored. You are always in a position of God's favor because of who you are in Christ. We are redeemed. We have been purchased. It's a legal term. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus from our sin. We are redeemed because of who we are in Christ. We are forgiven. All your guilt of shame and sin, past, present, future has been dealt with. 
We learn from Ephesians that we are heirs because of our position in Christ, who he, who, who, what he has, we have. What belongs to him belongs to us. It says that we are fellow heirs with Christ. It's a good one. It says that we are sealed. We've learned from the book of Ephesians that we belong to God forever and nothing and no one can ever change that. And lastly, rounding out our top 10, we are gifted. We have each been grace gifted by God for our good and for his glory. Now, again, that was a lot of information. I can't encourage you enough. We unpacked every one of these words in a different sermon. Some of you guys remember who have been with us on the journey through Ephesians. These are amazing realities that up to this point, Paul has been laying a foundation and saying, remember, if you are a Christian, this is who you are. And that's really important for us as we begin this morning. We said this over and over and over again so far in our study of Ephesians, but this, Christians, is not who you hope to be one day. If you get the right devotional book and you stop listening to secular music and you get all the dots all right, everything going, then maybe you'll be chosen, adopted, loved, accepted. No, no, no. The Bible says in Christ right now, that's your story. No matter what you walked in here, let's see, we, I love when we gather like this. Some of us had the best week ever of our lives. Some of us walked into church today and we had the worst week ever. Most of us are probably somewhere in between. No matter what you walked in here with, if you are in Christ, that is true of you right now. And this is what Paul has been laying the foundation. Why are we harping on that this morning? Because he's about to shift his focus he has said, this is who you are in Christ, and now we're turning the page, and Paul is about to start talking about how we live because of who we are. Today we're beginning a new series called Walk This Way. We're going to take the next several weeks out of a chunk of Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. And all throughout this passage, Paul is showing us how to live because of who we are. You could say he, he laid these really grand, amazing things as a foundation, and now he's about to get into our business a little bit. He's going to talk about our marriages. He's going to talk about our work ethic. He's going to talk about our thought life, our parenting, our morals, every single day, day to day, how we live. And it should be different because of who we are in Christ. So as we begin, we're going to read a passage of scripture today in Ephesians 4. And you're going to see in this, Paul is describing two very different ways to walk. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, reading all the way down to verse 24. A lot of content today that hopefully we're going to simplify and unpack. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Ephesians 4, 17 says this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart, they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That is dark. Verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, be, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, 
I'm going to let you, let, let, let you be at ease today, right? If you read that and you said, I have literally no idea what just happened. I don't know what that just said. I don't know if you've been reading the Bible for a long time or you just started reading the Bible. But there is a lot of content in those eight verses. So a couple things to remember before we jump in and unpack this. Remember that this is a letter that Paul is writing to a church. These are Christians primarily who are receiving this letter. And so as we read that, he's describing two very different walks. So we have to remember, evidently, Paul was writing a letter to a group of Christians who maybe weren't walking in the way they should walk. They began to walk in a way that was different than who they are in Christ. And so Paul, in those first couple verses, is addressing this. So to unpack this together for us this morning, I want to give us two truths about our walk. Two truths about our walk. Because of who we are in Christ, here's the first one. Our walk is different than it used to be. Because of who we are in Christ, our walk is different than it used to be. In verses 17 through 19, Paul describes how people walk that don't know God. If you have a Bible, look at it. He says, walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. This word Gentiles is a word of people, people that don't belong to the family of God. So he's telling these Christians, remember, don't walk like you used to walk. He's saying there's a difference between how you should live now because of who you are in Christ than you lived before you knew Christ. Well, that begs the question, how is it different? And Paul gives us a few ways our walk was different before Christ. And as you saw there, as we read it, it it's pretty dark and descriptive. Paul paints a very bleak picture in verses 17 through 19, and we'll talk about it here in just a minute. He says three things about how our walk was different before Christ. First thing he says, before Christ, our minds were futile. Before Christ, our minds were futile. It says in verse 17, in the futility of their mind. Now, I got to be honest with you, I hesitated to use this word futile because maybe you're smarter than me, but I had to look up the definition of the word futile. And as I looked up the definitions, I said, yeah, that's what I, about what I thought it meant, but I don't want to change that on the screen because it speaks so clearly to what he's talking about. Here's the definition of the word futile. Incapable of producing any useful results. It speaks to this idea of emptiness or vanity. This sounds harsh, but Paul is saying, apart from Jesus, people are running on a treadmill trying to get to wherever they want to go in life, and they are running as hard and as fast as they can, but they are going absolutely nowhere. They are striving, but never finding. They are living lives of emptiness. And it's the same idea Jesus communicated when he was talking to his disciples in a vineyard one day. And we see it in John chapter 15, verse 5. A verse that we love here at Hope Church, very succinctly, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's telling these Christians, before Christ, your minds were futile. So now that you're in Christ, stop living a life of emptiness. Stop striving after what you already have. You're trying to find things in ways that are in places that you already have in Christ. Before Christ, our minds were futile. And he continues to walk down this dark road. Second thing he says is before Christ, our hearts were hard. Verse 18 says that they have become darkened in their understanding and hardened in their hearts. Paul is using this imagery of really before Christ, we had spiritual blinders on. We were unable to see the things of God. He uses this word calloused. It literally means something that is hardened over their hearts and made them numb. 
See, I'm very familiar with this idea of callous because when I was 14 years old, so 18 years ago, I started playing the guitar. And I thought about it this week, the fact that I've been playing guitar for 18 years, I should honestly be a whole lot better than I am, but that's a different conversation. It just goes by fast. You're like, 18 years? Wow. I started playing guitar when I was 14 years old, and just like many guitar players, I almost quit. I mean, if you've ever tried to play guitar, the first few weeks and months are so hard because you're trying to learn to play this instrument, but your fingers are hurting at all times. Anybody who's new at playing guitar, I always tell them, push through the pain. Eventually, your fingers will get used to it. Why? Because they get calloused. When I play guitar, I do not feel it in my fingers at all. Why? Because my fingers have become calloused. They become numb to the strings. I don't feel what I used to feel. And so Paul is communicating this idea that you and I before Christ, we were numb to spiritual things. We had spiritual blinders on. We couldn't see what we couldn't see. He agrees with this in another letter he wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says very clearly, but a natural man, that's those who don't know Jesus, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. You ever preach the gospel to somebody and wondered, they think you're such a fool. They have spiritual blinders on. And he cannot understand them. Not only are they foolishness to him, he can't understand them. Paul uses the very descriptive word, they are ignorant. And this is a good reminder for us to remember today is that Christ drew us to himself. We were blind to spiritual things, but he, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago with the man born blind, he, we were blind, but he allowed us to see. This is amazing grace. And so Paul is telling these Christians, why are you living like you still have your blinders on? Don't walk in this way anymore. He has made you be able to see. He has removed the blinders. He has softened your hard heart. But I hear that you guys are going back and putting blindfolds on and acting like you don't know him. Paul continues down this dark road. And really it culminates when he says, before Christ, our flesh had total control. And there's good news coming up, don't worry. But right now we are in the midst of something that Paul is trying to paint in this picture. Our flesh had total control. When we say flesh, it's the biblical word for who we were before Jesus. The, the natural part of us that we are all born with. You hear people say all the time when they hold a newborn baby, they're just a blank slate entering this world. The reality is they are not a blank slate. They are sinners. They're cute little sinners, but they're sinners apart from Christ. And so Paul is saying before Christ, there was no spirit to combat the flesh. You, your flesh had total control. And we understand this about the flesh. It is never getting better. Right, to this day we wrestle with the flesh. We're gonna talk about that in just a little bit. But our flesh is never getting better. In fact, even now as believers, our flesh is finding ways to get worse. And not only is it getting worse, it's never satisfied. Right, the flesh goes from thing to thing to thing, trying to find satisfaction. So we go to relationships and stuff and money and substances and experiences and all of these fall very, very short. We've all seen the news headlines of celebrities, people in our lives, maybe you yourself, you finally got to the top of whatever mountain you thought would satisfy you. And all of a sudden, when you're at the top of the mountain, you're looking at other mountains because it didn't work. So Paul here paints this very bleak picture. Don't live like those who don't know Jesus. 
Their minds are futile. Their hearts are calloused and hard to the things of God. Their flesh has total control, and they're constantly seeking satisfaction in every evil desire in these things. He's saying, don't live like that anymore. I think it would do us well to pause here and look at this list for a minute like I had to do this week. And I don't want anybody to answer out loud, but as believers in Jesus, when you look at this list, do you really believe that? Like before Christ, that was me. For me, I was 16 years old and I'd never been to church in my life and somebody invited me to church and I began to come and I began to hear the gospel and I began to hear the truth of who I am apart from Jesus and it is this. Now maybe for some of you, you got saved at a young age, praise God, and so you never really got to see all of this go full fruition, but apart from Christ, this is our story. And I don't think I'd be serving Hope Church well if I didn't take a minute to to share in love the reality that This was my story apart from Christ, but today, if you aren't in Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I say this in love from what the Bible says, but this isn't who you were, this is who you are. But the good news is that you're here today, and the good news is that there is somebody chasing after you by grace, with his love, and you're out pursuing other things, but there's somebody today pursuing you, maybe bringing you to this place today to hear the good news. You don't have to be here anymore because he paid the debt you couldn't pay so that you could be in Christ. And the list that we said in the beginning could be true of you today before you walk out of here. I love the faith that we follow that doesn't say, well, this is your story, good luck. No, this is your story and there's nothing you can do about it, but somebody did something for you. And that's Christ. And today, this doesn't have to be your story anymore. You can be in Christ. So after all this darkness that Paul paints in these first two verses, he starts verse 20 with three amazing letters that make up an amazing word. He says, but, but you did not learn Christ this way. And notice how it says you did not learn Christ. It doesn't say you did not learn about Christ. As I studied this this week, this is actually really unique to this verse. It's one of the only times it's used in all of the New Testament in this way. It is not saying you learned some facts about a person. You, so that's why you changed your life. You learned about a, 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 a person from Nazareth. You learned about him, so you changed your lifestyle. You learned some historical facts about a historical figure. You learned about a religion called Christianity, or you learned how to be a good Christian, and so now you live a different way. That's not what it says. You see, as Jesus followers, we don't learn, just learn about Jesus. We learn Jesus. And that might seem like semantics, but it's not. It's, it's the difference between religion and relationship. This is an intimate knowledge of a person. This is an experiential knowledge of a person. We didn't just learn about Christ. We have, as Jesus followers, learned Christ. We've experienced him. And I thought a good way to illustrate this is to talk about my favorite fast food restaurant of all time, and that is In-N-Out Burger. Now, There's some haters in the 815 service. Listen, (laughs) if you're from the West Coast, I grew up in Vegas, that's my jam, all right? And if you don't think that, 
Come to my office this week. We can find you a new place to live on the East Coast, all right? I'm not saying it's like the biggest burger. It's just the best in my opinion, okay? And this is, the, this is my favorite. Not, not only that, I have some history within an out burger. I worked there when I was in college. I've gone, actually, when I got saved at the church I got saved at, it was part of my history. We used to go after church every single week and talk about Jesus and all the things I'm learning over a double-double, right? I mean, it was just a part of my life. My wife, when we were dating, she was in, we, we were finishing up high school. She worked at In-N-Out Burger. We love, and to this day, we went there last week for, my, my wife, where do you want to go for Mother's Day lunch, babe? In-N-Out Burger, right? It's like this, this is the woman of my dreams right here. <laughs> and let me tell you the truth. I can literally tell you everything there is to know about In-N-Out Burger. Like in a weird way. I have way too many facts under my belt when it comes to In-N-Out Burger. I can tell you when it was started and who started it, right? Back in 1953 on October 22nd in Buena Park, California. <laughs> I can tell you all the oil they used to fry their fries. I can tell you how to make the, the, the secret sauce, right? The spread. Before they put it in packets, we used to have to make it. So I know the recipe, right? I know everything there is to know about In-N-Out Burger. And because there's some haters at 815, doesn't seem like you guys would really like to hear that. But we could, after service, go out into the courtyard and I can tell you a million facts about In-N-Out Burger. Or we could get in my car and we can drive to In-N-Out Burger. This isn't a full invite to 3,000 people at Hope, by the way, I'm just saying. (laughs) And instead of learning a bunch of facts about In-N-Out Burger, you can order a double-double, animal style if you love Jesus, And you could bite into that thing. And that is going to be extremely different than hearing some facts about a restaurant. Does that make sense? This is how some people follow Jesus. I know everything there is to know. Quote me a Bible verse. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yes, but have you experienced Christ? We're not talking about knowing things about a faith. We're talking about knowing intimately a Savior. And there's a difference there. And so Paul is saying, this isn't how you experientially learned Christ. So because you've learned him, you should walk differently than you did. Second thing we're going to look at today is our walk requires daily surrender. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, you understand the struggle. I'm now going on 15 years of following Jesus, and we struggle. Why we said it earlier, but the flesh never goes away. There is a daily surrendering that has to happen in my life and your life as a Jesus follower to walk this way. There is a daily surrender because I have the spirit of Christ in me, yes, but it is constantly at war with the flesh. And I have to daily surrender my tendencies and you have to daily surrender your tendencies to revert back to the sinful desires. And this is what Paul is trying to remind the Ephesians. And I love how Paul put it to the church in Galatia. A beautiful picture of this daily surrender. It's going to be on the screen. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this. But I say, here's the picture, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul has painted this bleak picture. He's now saying this requires a daily surrender. You say, how is that possible? So very quick as we finish up today, I want to give us 
a few ways that Paul shows us how we daily surrender. Some practical ways you and I daily surrender to Jesus. The first thing he says is we lay aside the old self. In verse 22, in reference to your old manner of life, lay aside the old self. This speaks to the idea of changing clothes. We take off the old self. We lay it aside because that's not who we are anymore. This is a daily surrender. Why? Because we have to do it daily. It's daily saying, this is what I'm being faced with in my flesh, and I am laying that aside. In a parallel letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church about this same idea, there's a lot of similarities in Colossians 3 to Ephesians 4. But I love how graphically he says it in the New Living Translation in chapter 3. He says this in verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking in you. Put to death. Now that sounds a little intense, right? Like a little extreme. But Jesus, our Savior, uses this same type of language. You remember when he was talking to his disciples and he's talking to them about what it looks like to follow him. He says in Luke chapter 9, it's not going to be on the screen, but it says in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Not only that, take up his cross daily. Pick up a cross, an instrument used to kill people, and deny yourself daily. This is not easy. And honestly, if we're honest, I, I, I struggle with this this week, and maybe you too, if you'd be honest enough. This honestly doesn't rub me, it rubs me the wrong way. In my flesh, I'm like, man, I think, shouldn't it be easier than that? Didn't you already pay all the payment for my sin, Jesus? Yes. But following him looks like daily dying to yourself and daily picking up your cross and following him. I think... Unfortunately, we have bought into, and I'm guilty of it too, a Western American Christianity that basically says you give your life to Jesus and everything's just going to be amazing. There's no responsibility that you and I have in following Christ. You sign a card at Easter, you go to the Next Step Center, and all your life is going to be rosy and great. We Americans should tell that to our friends in the Middle East who are following Jesus right now and being persecuted for it like we couldn't even believe. They probably understand this idea of taking up their cross daily a lot more than we do. You see, the Bible says when we follow Jesus, we not better get ready for a bunch of prosperity and nothing to go wrong in our lives. When we follow Jesus, when he says take up your cross, he's saying, hey, get ready for a battle. Because every single day you're going to war against the flesh. A constant battle, but guess what? By God's amazing grace, we can win. I found this quote by John Piper this week I thought was so good. He said, what God creates in the new birth is not a sinless Christian, but a sin fighter. How? How do you do that? Scott, give us some practical handles because I, I feel the struggle. I'm all there with you, but how do I fight my sin Remember, this is not outside of context of a relationship with Jesus. This is daily depending on Christ. Apart from him, he said, we can do nothing. So we can't leave this place and go, man, I'm going to fight my sin. I'm going to be victorious. I'm not going to read my Bible because I'm too busy fighting my sin. He's saying, no, you have to daily depend on me as you try to walk this way and walk and lay aside the old self. So it's not helpful for us today to stay in the clouds. I want to get really, really practical as we talk about this daily moment-by-moment moment surrender. Because 
We know how it goes. We're all great right now in church because we're in church. But tomorrow, on your way to the office, when somebody cuts you off and your flesh pops up, or when your boss says something to you out of nowhere, when he stops by your cubicle, or something happens in the classroom, or something happens in your living room tonight with your family, and all of a sudden you feel that struggle of the flesh. What do you do to lay it aside when you wrestle with lust or greed or anger or pride or whatever it is for you? How do you lay it aside? Because we will be tempted, Hope Church. If you ever hear a gospel that says you'll never be tempted again, they should look at the beginning of the gospels when Jesus himself was tempted. You will be tempted. So how do we lay it aside? I believe the answer is you call it out and you say that's not who I am anymore. When lust comes face to face, I love the, the old school word we don't really use anymore. It's the word renounce. We renounce that. What does that word mean? It means to formally declare one's abandonment of. So lust comes face to face with me, anger, pride. I'm going to look at that in my flesh and say, I renounce that. I formally declare my abandonment. Why? Because that's not who I am anymore in Christ. The reality is sometimes I linger in sin when I should be laying it aside. Sometimes I dwell on sin when I should be putting it to death. Maybe I'm the only struggler in the room, but sometimes I coddle my sinful habits when the Bible says I should be killing it. And so for me, at the top of my journal, and I love journaling, I'm an avid journaler, at the top of every single journal that I've owned for the last several years, I have this amazing quote from a Puritan named John Owen. He says this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's the war. And again, don't forget, this isn't you killing sin out of your own power because you're so strong. You're not. That's why we needed Jesus. The cross outs all of us in our strength. We're not strong enough. But we have Christ in us. You are not doing this out of your own power. But you are by the Spirit's power saying, that's not who I am anymore. I've told a story numerous times here at Hope. My wife and I for the last several years have been walking through the extremely hard but rewarding and awesome process of adoption. I'm put my four kids here on the screen. These are my four kids. And this little girl right here is a girl named Aria. Now, Aria, we adopted a couple years ago now, but when we first started the adoption process, we were fostering her to adopt. Some of you guys have been through that process, praise God. And when we first met Aria, the, the caseworker actually told us a, a different name. They said, this is a different name than we were going to call her. But they said, here's the deal. She's actually never been, she was two years old. She's never been called by her birth name. And so if you would like to change her name, it wouldn't cause trauma or anything like that because she was called by a pet name in, their, in her household. And so she's never been called by her birth name. And so my wife and I made the decision for us as a family that we were going to change her name eventually, legally, to Aria Worthington. But up until that judge dropped the gavel on October 2017 and said she is a Worthington, legally speaking, she was known by her birth name. So all throughout the process of leading up to adoption, we would get phone calls from our caseworker, phone calls from the state, pieces of mail that said her birth name. And honestly, it, it was really hard at first because it was like that. I don't know that person, right? It was like, there's a name, but that person doesn't live here. And finally, 
In October 2017, the judge dropped the hammer and he said, this girl is not longer, no longer known by that name, but she is Aria Worthington. This is a beautiful picture of what happened to us spiritually. See, the reality is you and I were given a birth name, separated from God, sinner, hopeless and helpless. And that was our name before Christ. But praise God, one day in Jesus, on the cross, on, for our sin, on our behalf, Jesus died. And the ultimate judge declared that you and I are not guilty. He declared we have a new name. So what happens, Christian, when out of nowhere you get a piece of mail, if you will, from the flesh with a different name on it. What happens when you get the phone call from the enemy that says, this is your name? What do we do? The same thing we did with Ari is we laid it aside and said, that's not who I am anymore. We have called her this because this is who she is. She is no longer that person. She is this person. You are no longer that person. In Christ, you are this person. You have been declared by a new name. So we lay it aside. That's point number one. Point number two and three as we finish up real quick. We are renewed. It says there in verse 23, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind. This word, I love it, is passive. Sometimes you hear us talk about active and passive words. Passive means this is done to us. So what does that look like? It looks like me renouncing, laying aside my old self. And what does God do in his beautiful grace? He comes to me and he says, I'm renewing you. You aren't that person anymore. I'm renewing your mind. I am reminding you of who you really are. We need constant renewal of our minds. That's why this relationship is not just a checklist thing. Okay, I, I, I laid aside my, no, my, my, my old self, I'm picking up my new self. No, I laid aside the old self and God in his grace is renewing me daily. And then what? Then it says, point number three, we put on the new self. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. What is this? It's you and I walking in who he's called us to be. This is me remembering I am new. This is me laying aside, being renewed by the Spirit of God and walking in what he has already said I am. What did he already say I am? Put that list up here from the beginning. So it's me putting off the old self. It's me being renewed by the Spirit of God. And it's me standing up each day as I open my Bible and say, God, today I really feel old. I really feel like that old name. But you have renewed my mind as I put that aside and now I'm walking in the truth that I am chosen, adopted, loved, accepted, favored, redeemed, forgiven. I'm an heir, I am sealed, and I am gifted. I don't feel that way, God, but that's what you have declared I am by your grace. So because of who we are in Christ, Paul says, walk this way. What about this walk? It's different than it used to be. And it's a daily surrender. It requires daily surrender, laying aside, being renewed, putting on the new self. Let's pray together this morning as we finish up. Holy Spirit of God, you are good to us. We come to you right now with open hearts and open hands. We understand that apart from you, we can do nothing. God, help us right now in this moment to want to muster up our own willpower to be better. We have 
no ability to be better apart from you. So just as you sit there and think about all that we learned today, I want to talk to a couple of different groups of people. First, I'll talk to you and ask you, all of you, are you in Christ? Paul is writing this passage to a group of Christians. And he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. So the question we have to start with is, have you learned Christ? Have you had that experiential knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord? Like I said earlier, if, if not, there is good, good, good news for you. If you are not in Christ today, right now, you can be in Christ in your seat right there, right now. You call on the name of the Lord. Why have we been given that ability? We've been given that ability because the work is finished. Jesus has already died for your sin. Jesus has already done what needs to be done. He declared before he died, it is finished. What is finished? Everything that needed to be done for you and I to have salvation and joy and life in Christ. It's finished. So in just a minute, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. And there's going to be some pastors up here. There already are. I'm going to be down here. Maybe today you just want to tell somebody, I have given my life to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Praise God. That is on the table and a free gift that you have to work nothing for today. Are you in Christ? If you would answer yes to that question, the question I'd have for you today is, how's your walk? Paul wrote to a group of Christians and says, remember, don't walk like you used to walk. Would you say maybe in your life right now, you are walking like you used to walk before Christ? This is exactly what Paul is addressing here. Would you say, I, I am laying aside the old self. I understand my tendencies and I am renouncing those. I am saying that may be who I was, but that is not who I am anymore. Are you allowing yourself to be renewed as you sit and soak in God's word? As he teaches you all that you are in Christ, are you being renewed? Are you allowing time for that in your life by spending time with the Lord? And finally, are you walking in what he's already called you to be? Chosen, adopted, accepted, favored, redeemed, loved. We rejoice in the gospel today. Jesus doesn't make bad people good, Hope Church. Jesus makes dead people alive, and that's possible for you today. It's not a matter of merit. It's not a matter of what you brought into the table today. We need Jesus. We are, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and we don't get mad at that. We rejoice in that because there's hope for all. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray here, and then I'm, we're going to sing. And if you got stuff going on, maybe, maybe today you would come up to these altars and you just want to spend time with God because this, the struggle has been real for you this week. And you want to afresh just cry out to your God. There's freedom in here to do that. Maybe you want to come and pray with a pastor. Things going on in your family. Things going on in your life. You just want to pray with one of your pastors. It's such a great joy and honor every week for us to sit up here and do that with people. Maybe you want to come give your life to Jesus. You want to say, I am not in Christ and I want to be. I didn't realize the free gift that's available to me today. Come, let us show you from the scriptures how you can be saved today. 
So Jesus, you are good to us. We trust you. Holy Spirit of God, you know what you want to do in this place right now. I pray that we would allow you to do it. Don't let us be a hindrance. Don't let us get in the way. Holy Spirit of God, do what you want to do. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name.